Good morning, church. It is Palm Sunday, and we are excited to be with you guys and to study God's Word together. Um, before we we start, we'll just uh, wait a few minutes till people sign on, and as uh, we wait for those early arrivers, we got a little treat. Got a couple book recommendations for you. Um, if you missed this, you can uh, log on to our Facebook page and, uh, and hear some of the recommendations. So here's some of the things that have been going on in the Newman House that we've been enjoying. Uh, as you know, we've started this um, morning and evenings challenge to um, bookend our day with the Lord and to uh, grow in Him. And uh, during this quarantine time, we've got some good opportunity as family. Here's one. It's called uh, Good News for Little Hearts. Uh, this one, Gus loses his grip when you want something too much. Uh, you can get this on Amazon. We're starting a little um, book cart at the church when we uh, get the chance to gather again. And um, we're going to buy some of these for the, for the church and give you the opportunity to, to get them on Sunday. Uh, here's again from the series Good News for Little Hearts, Zoe's Hiding Place. Uh, this is a story when you're anxious, and so this would be a great uh, book for you to purchase, put in an Easter basket or whatever, and um, teach uh, your children and your own heart as well on how to um, go to the Lord in your anxiousness. Um, here's a classic. This is the Newman copy of the Pilgrim's Progress. It's got really great artwork, but if you've never read the Pilgrim's Progress Hey, the quarantine time would be a great time. Uh, let me just see if I can open up to some of these cool pictures in here. It's black and white. Um, but uh, here's a great copy, The Pilgrim's Progress. And then last one before we jump into children's Bibles. Uh, this one is a great book called The Ology. And uh, we've got a couple more folks subscribing and watching. So welcome church, we're excited to have you this morning. Uh, this has been a great one. Uh, it's, uh, here's the table of contents. I don't know if you can see it from there, but it goes through the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. We've got uh, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of man, and uh, it gives great pictures and then verses to go along with each one. So I'm just open up to a random page. Here's the Son of God comes to earth. It's got a picture and it's got some verses to look up. Um, this would be a great opportunity as a family devotional, things like that. You're sideways. I'm sideways? Okay. How do I change that? Flip it upside down? Yeah. <clears throat> well, well, we'll keep going. And my wife, the videographer, will switch it on up. If it goes vertical, I know that the, it'll come in odd. All right, so I'm going to keep going with a couple children's Bibles, and then we'll get started. This is a classic. There's our family. Oh. You just flipped it around. There we go. <laughs> this is uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you don't have a copy for every uh, story of your house, you need it. It says, uh, turn off portrait, orientation lock. Okay, I'll go ahead and do that. Thanks, Emma Burnett. You've always been there for us. Orientation lock on, off, and boom! How'd we do? 
Come on, Emma, how do we do? Are we good? I'll keep going. Uh, here's a new one that our, our church um, just needs to buy. Um, this was in uh, Lucy's East, no, 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 Inner, inner Stocking. Uh, this is called the Laugh and Learn Bible for Kids. And this is written by a guy named Phil Vischer. And it is super easy to, uh, to lead a family through. So it's really fun and um, helpful. All right, and then last book recommendation before we get after it. This is like our all-time favorite. So if you are, mom and dads, if you're uh, looking to impart the Word of God in your kids and um, you're looking for tools, you're looking for chances to, to use it, this is called the Big Picture Story Bible written by David Helm. And it is so simple and clear and the We've just loved it. So uh, mornings, night times. Now this one's a little pricey, but I would encourage you to get after it. Well, hey, welcome. Um, uh, if you haven't already, uh, this would be a good time to take out your um, family worship guide to print it out and uh, to follow along with us. Um, either before or after the sermon, you can, with your family, um, uh, sing. You can um, pray together and um, you can, there's some uh, questions to respond to this, this morning's text. Uh, you can find this on thegatheringcity.com and look under um, family uh, worship or family devotionals. Um, um, yeah, a couple more things. Hey, if you're watching, if you're a part of our church, uh, you know the Leaper family, they had a very big weekend this weekend. Um, one is that Carrie Leeper turned 21. I know, let's see some hearts, some thumbs up. Um, yeah, if you get a chance, send her a text, let her know you love her. Um, happy birthday, Carrie Leeper. And then the other announcement with the Leeper family is that uh, Matthew got engaged. Yes, the big, what is it? I don't know. That's a big deal. <laughs> so um, congratulations, Matthew and Jesse. We are excited for you and praying for your time of engagement. God loves marriage and we are, we're pumped. It's gonna be good. Little schedule for this week as people are still signing on. Um, Palm Sunday is today. We'll be in the, uh, Mark 11. And so if you wanna go ahead and turn there, uh, that'd be great. Uh, this Friday uh, is traditionally called Good Friday, and uh, that is, that's going to be a great opportunity for us to embrace the new normal of quarantine. And so here's what we're going to do. Uh, the Bible says that on the ninth hour, Jesus, uh, he gave up his spirit. And so uh, we, on the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. our time, uh, we are going to have a Zoom call, and we are going to pray together. And we're encouraging a, a noon to three fast, that you would pause, that you would uh, refrain from eating, and that you would allow your physical hunger to drive you to hunger for the Lord. And that you would um, you'd read his word, that you would pray with us as a church, and then even that evening that you would go to him as a family and eat together and pray and remember the cross. And so um, look for an email for that this week. Uh, it'll be password protected uh, from all the Zoom bombing that's going on. 
But um, uh, if you want to join us, and if you're uh, from an, another state or from uh, another church, um, just DM me, and I'd be glad to um, share that password with you. Uh, and then this, this coming Sunday is Easter Sunday, so there's a lot to get excited about. Okay, well, hey, let's get, let's get started. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into our text together, okay? So, Father, we love you. We thank you for this time, and we ask that you would move through your word and by your spirit, and that we would all love you deeper and long to serve you in greater ways after this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, this morning, uh, happy Palm Sunday. Uh, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And really, just to share with you right off the bat, I am, I am boldly praying that this Sunday would be a significant one in your life. That 5, 10, 15 years from now, whatever, that you would look back on this Sunday during the coronavirus time and you would remember that the Lord, through his word, met you, that you heard from him and that you loved him deeper and that, that you wanted to devote more of your life to him. And so I pray that this would not just be a, like a traditional, oh, that's a nice story, I remember it now, but, but that it would really be impactful uh, for your heart. So Mark 11, um, just a quick context, context, the book of Mark, the over arcing theme, Mark writes to his readers that they would follow Jesus. And through his narrative and how he lines it up and the, the stories and the phraseology that he chooses, Mark is relaying how it is costly to follow him. The cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus is great, but so worth it. From chapter 1 all the way to the end of chapter 16, you'll see that in Mark, you're left with that Jesus is your, your highest treasure and your greatest satisfaction. Um, in, in Mark 11, he depicts the great, the great triumphal em entry, as we call it. Uh, and I think that two questions will emerge from this text today. Uh, one is, who is Jesus? And the other is, what does it mean to follow him? There's two simple questions that I think that God, through this unique time in the world, uh, during this COVID-19 quarantine time, I think he's going to use this text uniquely in our lives today. Who is Jesus and who are his followers? Would you read along with me? Mark chapter 11, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went out, and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they 
let them go. Let's just go ahead and pause right there. All right. This is, this is one of my favorite parts of the story. This is so, if you've seen Star Wars, this is so Jedi related, right? It's like Jesus tells his disciples to, to take this cult and he, he, he equips them with the word. If they ask you what you're doing, just say the Lord has need of it. Almost like in this Jedi tone with two fingers up, right? I mean, uh, kids, like, don't try this at home. You know, like parents, imagine you're like in the pantry and you're looking for the Cheez-Its at nighttime and you can't find the Cheez-Its. And, and so like you go up to your kid's room and there is your five-year-old or seven-year-old and she just like waves her fingers at you and says, your child has need of these Cheez-Its, dad. <laughs> like, like you can't do that, right? But here, the disciples do it. And I love this passage. Um, here, uh, just to get a little theological with you, this is what the theologians call the omniscience of Christ. It's talking about his knowledge, his knowledge of everything that is greater than, than space and greater than time. Like he knows all and he's not bound by time or space. He knew exactly which donkey would be there, and he knew exactly how to acquire it. And just right away, church, I think this should greatly encourage you during this time. Who is Jesus? He's all-knowing. If he knows the smallest details of the donkey, then he knows your deepest concern during this COVID-19 outbreak. He knows about your job insecurities. He knows about your job loss. He knows, students, about your school transitions. He knows about the, the online classes. He knows about your depression. He knows about your loneliness. Our Savior knows. But the cool thing about this is that he doesn't just know like, oh yeah, I knew that but he's actually king over it. He's king over every insecurity and question mark that you have. Watch this. Verse seven, let your eyes go there with me. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. All right, so what's happening here, church? This was the, a traditional way to introduce a new king to his subjects. Um, in the Old Testament, Solomon rode in on a colt uh, for his coronation. Uh, David rode in on a, on a colt, a mule, a donkey. Uh, this was a traditional way to identify a king. But our Lord here in this passage, he's not just trying to identify with kingly tradition even though he is the son of David and he is ushering in the, he is the, in the Davidic line of kings, it's actually more than that. Let's just go a little bit deeper. Uh, in the book of Luke, Luke records that Jesus said, choose this colt or this donkey which no one has ever sat upon. So what's going on here? In historic times, a new king would often ride on an animal 
that was ridden on or upon by a former king. And it was this picture or image of a transfer of rulership. But Jesus had his disciples bring an unridden cult because his kingship didn't come from man, but it came from God himself. Look at verse 9. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting. And I'll just kind of, as, as I read it, I'll explain, I'll explain it in, in modern terms. This is what the crowd shouted. They shouted, Hosanna! Which is kind of like, hey, this guy is our rescuer. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So as to say, this guy's authority is from heaven. Verse 10, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Like, hey, he's bringing the kingdom with him. And it's going to be a lot like David's time, but even better. And then they shout, Hosanna in the highest. Which is to say, this guy, he's king over all. He's going to rescue everything and everyone. And then, friends, let your eyes look down to verse 11. And this verse is like the hinge verse. It should color our whole understanding of this passage, okay? I'll read it for us. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. Side note, because that's where kings go on their coronation day. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany and the twelve. It's like, what? That's so anticlimactic. I mean, that's, that is the, the story we've been waiting for, for him to come into the temple and to receive his crown. And no one followed him. It was just him and the twelve. You see, the crowds were willing to honor him with their lips. But they weren't willing to follow him. And if we for a moment could just peel back the, the layers of their understanding. And if we could just talk about their expectations of who Jesus was. I think it would help us and encourage us and challenge us on this Palm Sunday. You see the crowds were, were willing to honor him with their lips. But their hearts were far from him. What were they saying? I think according to like verse 11 and their unwillingness to follow him, I think that they were saying, finally, like, look, finally, like political power will save us. Finally, like the government and Jesus as our head will, will save us out of our troubles and our situation. And you, you, you can even jump inside their heads and relay some events that led up to this Palm Sunday. Like he fed the 5,000. Well, that means that he's going to usher in great feeding programs. We'll get free food. Uh, I mean, he, he healed the sick. Look at that. Free health care. And if he's Hosanna in the highest, well, then he's overall. And that means all nations. And that means no wars. This is going to be an awesome time with Jesus. The, the economy is going to flourish and my life is going to be so good under this kind of Jesus. This is exactly what I've wanted 
This is exactly what I've prayed for. This is going to be like my best life now. This is going to be a good life for me and my kids. No more struggle. Come, Jesus, come. Political salvation has arrived. In theological language, it would be something like this. I want a king to rescue me from my troubles because this king exists for me. But Jesus, he didn't come to set up our kingdom. He came to bring peace between God and man and to establish his own kingdom, which isn't purposed to remove suffering, but it's purposed to use suffering to advance his kingdom. This kingdom finds its full expression amidst times of hardship. Friends, we know that the government is not our hope as Christians. But as you watch the news these days and just pour over articles on your devices, let me just ask this question. Has political salvation and government intervention been your hope in life and death? Has it? Have we been guilty of looking for the government for answers and help before the Lord? Do you check your Facebook or Fox News before folding your hands in prayer? Friends, let's do that. Let's go to the Lord. This text for me and my heart has been so timely. Well, let's see how Jesus um, addresses these hearts, these responses. Let's see how he handles it. And you're going to see how he, him handling it through a fig tree image and a temple. Okay? So let's go ahead and start with verse 12. Let your eyes go there. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Verse 14, and he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Let's stop there. Let's just dig a little deeper. Mark tells us that Jesus was hungry, and in his hunger, he curses this fig tree, okay? Um, was Jesus, like, just being hangry, you know? I mean, can we just respond like, man, Jesus, like, what did the tree ever do to you? I know it's kind of easy to, to joke around that way, but Jesus is using this fig tree to teach us a lesson. There's a little bit of difficulty in that the fig tree had no fruit, yet Mark is clear to record that it was not the season for figs. Was Jesus being unreasonable here? So just a little, little farming. Uh, fig trees produce an early edible fruit before leaves appear. This is what Mark is describing. If there were no early fruit, it was a sign that there certainly would not be fruit later on. When Jesus came to the nation of Israel, there were no leaves, which is speaking of their, 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 there was leaves, but there was profession, right? They were just honoring him with his lips. You could see it externally, 
But what he was cursing was internal. You could say that the crowds, in essence, were all talk. But Jesus was hungry for genuine fruit from the nation. And if you're um, not familiar with Bible imagery, fruit means good deeds that come from the heart. So through this fig tree scene, we see Jesus is really cursing or judging the hearts of people. We think of the passage that describes fruit of the Spirit, like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Like, these are all traits that come forth from faith. People who follow Jesus, who give their lives to him, he in turn gives them the ability to bear fruit. Uh, but we'll get to that. So I think just a short application during this unique time in history, during the quarantine of the coronavirus, you're actually not given the opportunity to follow any sort of crowd, right? We're all in our homes. We're all with our families. And really, it's just you and the Lord. You're not even tempted to be taken away by the crowd. How's your fruit? The tree was a symbol that their hearts were far from the Lord. No fruit. That's the fig. Let's go to the next scene, the temple. So I think the simple question is, why would Mark put the, the scene of the temple right after the triumphal entry? Most of us remember the story of Jesus clearing the temple uh, only as, as a lesson like, oh yeah, that's when Jesus was angry, and so we shouldn't be um, um, angry like in a sinful way, but Jesus didn't sin when he was angry, and so like have, have like um, a righteous anger, right? And that, that's a good lesson, but uh, there are more lessons in this passage to learn. Let's study this a little bit together, okay? The temple that was built by Herod now in this time is really recorded to be a beautiful place. It was so beautiful that, that the temple became uh, the nation's national pride. And the outer ring of the temple was called the court of the Gentiles. And this is where foreigners could come and worship and pray to the Lord. But at this particular time, the nation of Israel set up a marketplace in the court of the Gentiles. And the result was that the, the, the nation of Israel was occupying where the Gentiles could come and worship and pray to the Lord. It almost became like a club for Jews. It was just this hangout, a place that was originally designed for the nations so that all peoples, all languages, all colors could love and worship God now it became this place of ethnic superiority and favoritism. Now it was a place of division. And so Jesus comes in and clears house. And he quotes Jeremiah uh, 7 and he says, This place is like a den of robbers. It's like, this, is, this is not okay. In, in Jeremiah 7, God condemns Israel for the same thing, where robbers were hiding in the temple and, the, and Israel was affirming their sin. 
They were safe in their sin. And therefore, Jesus is, is connecting the two from Jeremiah 7 to now saying, you guys, you have this attitude where you think you're unstoppable. Like we can live however we want. So Jesus cleans house. This is not Jesus out of control. This is Jesus calling out their sin and pride. And he is protecting the truth that Gentiles have access to God. So question for you. I think the general question from this scene right here would be this. Hey, does the Lord need to clean out any sin attitudes in your heart? That's for sure a general question. But to be specific, during this time of COVID-19 quarantine, as our calendars are at a standstill, here's the specific question. Does Christ need to clean out your attitude towards the lost during this time? This is the time to self-evaluate, to invite the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. And through this text, would Jesus have you shift around your calendar so that your calendar can reflect a heart for those who are far from God. Here's the, the message of the temple. Hey, my followers, they don't, they don't use me for their gain. My followers follow me so that others can come in. So the story continues. Would you come with me? Here's verse 20. Watch this. As they passed by him in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. So those whose hearts were far from him, they withered and they died. All right. So just a little recap. So we're seeing a few things on what it means to follow Jesus. Does it mean, following Jesus means like being a part of the crowd and saying the right things? Is that what it means? No. Does it mean like, let's be religious and just advertise with our leaves, like to do good things on the, on the outside, yet bear no heart fruit and vitality in life. Is that what it means to follow Jesus? No. Does it mean to find your pride and your identity in your own kingdoms? No. Does it mean to find a, a hiding place or protection from your own sin so that we can just cover it? No. Well, then how do you follow Jesus? In verse 22, watch Jesus' answer. This is awesome. So verse 22, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Well, how does this faith work, Jesus? How does faith, faith work? How does faith come to me? Like if I'm supposed to have or possess faith, how is it brought to me? We know that faith is a gift. And so how does this thing work? Let's look at this passage again. Back up for a second. Take a deep breather. 
and just delight in Jesus and try to answer this question. How does faith come to a person? Three things. Ready? Faith comes through Jesus' humility. The beginning of this narrative started with Jesus riding in on a donkey in a humble manner. Really, this is the description of Jesus' whole life. It's humble service. It starts off with him humbly coming, de-robing, taking off his kingly robe and coming down to earth and being born as a man in a humble manger. And it goes all the way through his life to describe him as a man who's, who's not just here to, serve, to, to be served, but to serve and to seek and save the lost all the way to, his, to his, his coronation day when he comes in to be crowned and he rides in on a humble donkey. Faith comes through Jesus' humility. We serve and worship a humble Savior. Number two, faith comes through Jesus being a curse for us. If your impression up to this time is, wow, Jesus like came in, was riding on a donkey, and then he just started cursing and cleaning and getting all angry. Seems like that's, that's not the Jesus that I'm familiar with. If that's your impression of Jesus, your impression of Jesus is wrong. Because Jesus loved us so much and pursued us so greatly that he laid down his life for us and he became a curse for us. Galatians 3.13, let me read it for you. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Isn't that a great verse? So he became a curse. And number three, faith comes to us by making us the temple. Jesus came and he cleared out the temple that day, but he didn't have the attitude or actions of like just cleaning it out and leaving it there. He wanted to restore the temple and he had a purpose for it. He had a unique plan in that those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are made into the temple of God. God, through Jesus Christ, forgives you when you place your faith and trust in him. He gives you the Spirit. And you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he sends you out on a mission so that the gospel would be seen and heard through you clearly so that all peoples would hear and know the love of God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that the, a beautiful work of Jesus Christ? He didn't just curse and clean, but he became a curse. And he called you by faith to live out the temple. Well, if you're asking like, oh, that's cool, that's nice. But like, Pastor Mike, where should, where should I start? Like, what are the next steps in my life? If you want to follow the king, the fig tree, yes, teaches you to bear fruit. And the temple teaches you to have a heart for the lost, but like, what are my next steps? And the cool thing about the Bible is sometimes when you're asking those questions of application, 
You just got to keep your nose in the word a little bit longer and Jesus will answer those for you. If you're not sure where to start, let's look at how Jesus instructs his followers. Watch the fruit of believing. And I pray that this will be a great encouragement to you during this time of quarantine. Ready? Verse 22, number one, have faith in God. Friends, church, whoever's watching, trust him. Trust him in what he's doing right now in your life and embrace that he is using this time to work in and through you for your good and his glory. I promise that he is causing this time to have your heart to be wholly his. During this week, in the ups and downs, have faith in God. Trust him. Number two, verse uh, 24 tells us, to ask in prayer. This is the second active verb that Jesus tells us what to do. So pray this week. Be a woman, man of prayer, right? Uh, Philippians 4 is such a great description on how to turn our anxiety to the Lord by presenting our requests to him. So this week, fight your anxiety by being grateful by petitions and prayers with thanksgiving, make a list of all the things you're grateful for and go on a walk and cling to him and, and praise the Lord and offer him all the things you're anxious about. And through that, you will walk with God. This is not something that the crowd will see that brings about great momentum and uh, you won't be written about in articles or make the news or anything, but you will grow in your intimacy with God as you offer your heart in prayer to him. And here's the third active verb. Verse 25 tells us to forgive. Jesus says, wherever you are standing, do you see that in verse 25? Wherever you are standing, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Who is Jesus? I hope you've seen an accurate and full picture of him. Who are his followers? Those who have faith. Those who pray. Those who forgive. This is the kind of fruit that Jesus is zealous for. This is the kind of heart that he wants to clean out and free us so that others might come in and know him. Friends, brothers and sisters, let forgiveness towards others be your mark this week. Would you pray with me? Father, we are, we're humbled through your son, Jesus Christ, in his life, and his work. Lord, this week as we approach his death and resurrection in this coming weekend, we cling to these truths right now. Would you help us in our faith? We believe, help us in our unbelief. Lord, help us to be men and women of prayer that go to you with all that we are. And Lord, help us to live rightly with others within our own home, in our marriages and families. Lord, help us to forgive and to pursue reconciliation. Would you do this? And we're praying and asking for revival in our hearts and in this land 
during this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, great to be with you guys. Uh, we love you. We long to see you again. And uh, until then, walk with them. We'll see you soon.